I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by Great Creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us, once again, the indescribable, the polymath, the wonder, Dr. John D. Martini. Dr. John D. Martini. John, welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great and it's, I've been looking forward to it. So thank you for having me again. Oh, it is such a treat to have you here. For those that are tuning in, let me quickly do the honors, please. There are other episodes on the Inspired Evolution with Dr. John D. Martini. We've covered a lot of work on self-mastery previously. He is a polymath, a world-renowned human behavior expert. His work has been described by students as the most comprehensive body of work that is literally out there in the world, um, an extensive library of wisdom. His mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. He's written several books on the matter. He's a global educator. He's the founder of the Martini Method, which was a revolution in modern psychology. John, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am, uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground previously on how to live in alignment to our values and build the best life. And today I was, there's a, there's, a bit of a different tack that I sort of wanted to go down, which was there are, I've been noticing, especially working with a lot of people in the coaching space these days is there are things that hold us back. And, you know, I think we've been discussing things previously that pull us forward. Like how do we align to our values, the power of gratitude, focusing on things that have a, a, a like a forward pulling momentum. But I guess I wanted to take an opportunity today to discuss what are some of the backwards pulling things in our life that you've noticed, because I know you've probably dedicated quite a bit of thought to this body of work. What do you find holds people back from living a truly meaningful and fulfilling life? Ooh, boy, we could go on day on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of my intention. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, the moment we compare ourselves to somebody else that we admire mm. and put people on a pedestal, mm. we'll minimize ourselves in turn. And the moment we minimize ourselves, our own intrinsic hierarchy of values becomes suppressed and clouded. Diminishes. 
And, and what we'll do is we'll attempt to live in other people's values. We'll tend to envy somebody and imitate somebody and inject their values. Let me give you an example. Mm. Almost everybody can identify a moment in their life when they were highly infatuated with some guy or girl. Well, yes. today, whatever the spectrum is, because you've yeah. got the whole spectrum in there. <clears throat> and the moment you did, you probably remember a moment when you sacrificed things that were normally important to you, your normal daily routines, to try to fit in with them because you feared the loss of them if you didn't. Mm. <clears throat> and so when we're infatuated, we'll tend to sacrifice what's higher on our values to try to fit into what's higher on, that we think is higher on theirs at least. Mm. And every time we do that, we sacrifice ourselves. We store that as a memory. I did this for you. You owe me one. <laughs> <laughs> whether they and, know it um, or not. Yeah. Whether they know it or not. And the whole thing may just be your own misperception of who they are anyway, because they're not worth putting on pedestals and mm. truth, but you've made them into something or not. You're conscious of their upsides. You're unconscious of the downsides. And in turn, in comparison, you're conscious of your downsides, unconscious of your upsides. You're too humble to admit what you see in them inside you. Mm. The moment you do and you inject their values and you try to imitate them and envy them and admire them, you'll inject their values, which will cloud the clarity of what's important to you. And then you'll unconsciously lie to yourself about what you want to do, what you want in life. And you'll set goals that aren't yours. And then you're designed not to get those done because they're inauthentic. And you'll think you're sabotaging. You'll think you got limited beliefs. You think you got all this stuff. And that's all the label that goes on in the personal development field. But what it is, is a feedback to let you know that you're pursuing a fantasy that's not really important to you. You think it is. And the way you know it is you listen to yourself saying, I should do this. I ought to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing this. Why am I not doing this? Mm. Whenever you're doing somebody else's values, you inject imperative language and that reveals that you're trying to be somebody you're not. This is the most common one that stops people and they set goals. They're not really important to them. Now let me give another example. The <laughs> yeah. They're important to what they, they think it's important to them because they envy somebody else and think, oh, I want to do that too. I was in um, <clears throat> South Africa and I was speaking at a success summit and uh, it was about 5,000 people. And I asked, how many of you would love to be financially independent? Well, every hand went up. Some people put two hands up. Some people put their leg in the air. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're all elated, right, by the <laughs> fantasy of being financially independent. Yeah. And I define financial independent as when your passive income exceeds your active income and you're working because you love to, not because you have to. Perfect. And um, everybody was all excited about it. And I said, okay, we got 100% of this room with their hands up pretty well. I said, now what percentage of the world's population obtain it? Mm. Less than 1%. At least when I'm talking about really being free, not, not just that they can be independent and they're working and making money, which many people confuse with financial independence, but mm. actually having enough passive income that you don't really have to work. You work because you sure. left. Yeah. So when I asked them how many, per, you know, what percentage? One percent, the one mm. percenters. I said, isn't it interesting that we got 99 to 100 percent of the room with their hands up, but only one percent of you are you going to make it? Which one is it going to be? And of course, they're all pointing to themselves. Right? <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm going to, I want to find out which ones are going to make it. Hmm. So I want you to get a piece of paper out. And uh, on this piece of paper, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. And I'm going to give you 10 million U.S. dollars. Now, 10 million U.S. dollars in South Africa can go enough to for many people to be somewhat financially independent. Yeah. So I'm going to give you $10 million. And if you never had to work another day in your life, you were set free, you worked because you want to. If I gave you the $10 million, you have 60 seconds to write down what you would do with it. Because if you don't know what you're going to do with it, why would it come to you? Mm. And so I said, right, I want you to write down it. And I'm going to give you 60 seconds. And I want you to write the 10 things you would do with that $10 million. On your mark, get set, go. And they're just rushing and boom. 
oh, what if I had $10 million? This is what I'd do with it. And then said, stop, 60 seconds. Now pass it to the person on your left. And on the person on your left, I want you to calculate how much of the money is left that's still an asset that can appreciate value and how much was spent on consumable depreciables. Mm. Between 20 and 80% of the $10 million was spent within one minute. Yeah, well. Which meant that they had a value on consumables and lifestyle, buying a car, buying clothes, buying a new house, buying everything that is not an asset that actually takes money out of your pocket mm. and goes down in value. And some people had 80% of that money gone in one minute. Yeah. And I explained to them, if, if you put your money and stuck it all in assets and lived the way you were doing and made it 20 million and 40 million and 80 million for the next 20 years, you have a value on wealth building. And yeah. you're headed for the one percenters. But if not, you're going to focus on lifestyle unless you have a change in values today. And that's what we're going to discuss today. <laughs> unless you have a change in value, because the hierarchy of your values is going to dictate to financial destiny. So most people assume they wanted financial independence because they envied all these people. Yeah. But less than 1%, only seven people in that room bought assets. Wow. Yeah. So I explained to him that you think you know yourself, but you don't. Mm. You confuse the injected values of others for you. Mm -hmm. And this is what people were doing. They were comparing themselves to the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And I want this and I want that. And, and as long as they keep putting their money into something that goes down in value, the money will never work for them. They'll be a slave to money and never be a master of money. So it's a real eye open. I have their attention now. Now we can go and discuss values and discuss how we manage money. And, and a lot of eyes opened and a lot of ahas a hit. And I said, so unless you have a shift in your values and the way you spend money, because it's not how much you make, it's how you manage what you make. And that's determined by your values. You're not going to be financially independent. But if you have a fantasy and you don't live up to it, you're going to beat yourself up. So you're going to self-depreciate mm. with a fantasy of financial independence unless you have the values that will lead you there. And that's why people have wounds of the past and delusions of the past that are holding them back because they're first starting out with goals that aren't theirs. Mm. That's a big one. Mm. Now, every time you have an experience that you're elated with, or depressed about, or infatuated with, or resentful about, or proud about, or ashamed about, mm. and you have a lopsided perception where you're conscious of the upsides and unconscious of the downsides, or conscious of the downsides and unconscious of the upsides, that activates from the senses, through the thalamus, into the amygdala, and into the hippocampus, and into the autonomics, it creates the subconscious storage of these emotionally polarized perceptions. And they initiate impulses towards, if it's positive without negative, or instincts away if it's negative without positive. And therefore, we're an automaton reacting to those misperceptions. Mm. Now, anything we associate along the journey in the future relative to that initial imbalanced perspective compounds this and initiates impulses and instincts. And every time we're living in impulses and instincts out of the middle, of, we're not in strategic objective states of mind where we're living congruently with who we are. We're an automaton reacting to misperceptions because if you're highly infatuated, it occupies space and time in your mind. And it's hard to sleep at night. If you're highly resentful, it occupies space and time in your mind and it's hard to sleep at night. If it's balanced, you sleep restfully. But if it's not balanced, you store that in the subconscious mind. If it is balanced, it goes into the superconscious mind. And it's the superconscious mind where you have an objective balanced state where you actually follow through objectively and are in contact with reality and actually achieve. So most people accumulate these highly polarizing emotional states of elation and depression, store that, and then they're run by those responses and anything that reminds them of them makes them seek or avoid, and they're distracted 
by these impulses and instincts. And these are the distractions that keep them from being missionful, purposeful, focused on a strategy and objective that they can meet. So those are the most common ones. The storage of fantasies and nightmares, philias and phobias, things that they think are positive without negative or negative without positive, but there is no such thing. Mm. You know, when you meet a girl or a guy or whoever it is on the spectrum and you are in fact with them, it doesn't take long. Within weeks, you start to find out it's not who you thought. <laughs> and yeah. so you're blinded out of ignorance and subjective bias out of the negatives that were there associated with the positives. And you were all infatuated because you were blind. And then they turn out to be not what you thought. And now you're resentful because they're not matching the fantasy that you projected. Mm. And now you're seeing the negatives without the positives. And that's another skewed view. And so you're basically running around with skewed views with all the emotions. That's why Buffett says, until you can manage your emotions, don't ever expect to manage money. <laughs> you're going to keep being polarized. Yeah. So these are the things that stop people from actually being strategically, methodically taking action on something that is deeply meaningful, that's true to them, that is like a mission that spontaneously is inspired from within to act upon and achieve. Mm. And everybody has that, but they're covering it up with all those judgments. Mm. That's why I developed the Demartini method to help dissolve those so you can mm. get on with your life. Because mm -hmm. most people don't even know that they're being run by them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is super comprehensive and it makes a lot of sense, especially where you started. It's usually we sort of benchmark ourselves against, you know, something that's going on externally and we start to live up to that. And we're sort of, we're completely off our kilter and that just continues to perpetuate us into the, I don't want to say the wrong direction, but it's feedback, right? That's one of the biggest lessons I've ever learned from you, John, is life is one big feedback mechanism. Um, yeah. One of the queries, you used the word infatuated, and I do want to talk about the energy of money a little bit, but before we go there, you know, you meant, you mentioned the word infatuated and naturally love relationships came to mind. So, you know, I, um, from that point started to wonder if is like, obviously, well, not obviously, but touch wood, I'm in a pretty healthy marriage at the moment. Um, and I am curious to explore whether, do you ever find it like when you're infatuated, would you say most often you end up trying to live up to someone else's expectations or do you just end up finding Energy. someone that's completely aligned to your values or do you just surrender that whole game of going, I shouldn't be playing into your, <laughs> what you're thinking, what you're doing. Yeah. You, you go through all of those gyrations. Most, most people mm. first they're infatuated, mm. uh, which means they're blind to the downsides that are inevitable. Mm. And to the degree of the infatuation will be the degree of the degree of the resentment. That, that's they're going to be pairs of opposites. Mm. In fact, the negatives are there. Your intuition is whispering, but you're ignoring them. The downsides. You're Willing, ignoring them. Willingly blindful. Yeah. And uh, I, I can I share a funny story? Oh, uh, please. Yeah. Example. And this doesn't just apply to love relationships, businesses as well. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, this is this is a love relationship. Mm. So a guy comes to me, you know, I, I teach a program called the Breakthrough Experience. Mm. I've been doing it 34 years. I've done it 1,166 times. So I've done quite a few of them. Quite and this guy, this, guy comes in, this guy comes in and he says, uh, you know, I'd like to work on my wife because I, I, there's, there's, there's some work to be done. I said, okay. And I said, what's, what's the thing that's not fulfilling in the dynamic with your wife? And he says, our sex life is just not, it's not wow. Mm. And I said, okay. I said, in order for you to have that perception, you have to be comparing her to somebody. And I said, so who are you comparing her to? And if you've never been with anybody else and you don't know anything else, and that's all you know, you would probably not know if that's positive or negative. It's just what you know. Mm. So you have to be comparing her to somebody. So who are you comparing her to? He, he contemplated that. He thinks, yeah, I think I know who it is. Okay, so who is it? It's this uh, chick I met in Club Med 11 years ago. Mm. I've been with my wife for 10 years. I met my wife soon after this chick. But um, I think what has happened is I've been comparing her to that chick. And I say chick, that, that lady, mm. woman. 
And I said, uh, okay, so what, what's, what's the comparison? What was so great about this chick? Well, my buddy and I were going down to Club Med. We're going to spend three days down there. Mm -hmm. And when I checked in, I checked in hours before he did. When I was checking in, there was this crop top babe that was sitting there checking in. It's pretty, I thought, pretty hot. And I started flirting with her because she's right next to me standing and checking in. And I said, well, you know, if you want to go down to the pool bar that's got the bar in the water, um, I'm going down there. Maybe we can have a drink together and chat. So sounds great. So he goes and checks his bags in, moves into the room and gets his bathing suit on and goes down to the bar and starts ordering drinks and meets the chick there. And, and they hit it off. And after a few drinks, they started to get a little bit closer. Now, he was dating a woman at the time. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes when the cat's away, the mice will play, as they say. And so he starts to have a little fling with this girl. And he brings her up after they start kissing and brings him up to the room. Well, he puts the lock on the door and, and says, you know, <clears throat> bug off. And there's a hot tub in the outside of the window and they, they start making love. Mm. And they start having sexual, um, you know, interactions for three days. Mm. Well, his buddy shows up at two in the afternoon, four hours later. <clears throat> they were planning on staying in the same room, double bed. Or not double bed, but two beds. Mm. And... uh his buddy all of a sudden knocks on the door because they said he's already checked in, gave him a key, but the key didn't work. Knocks on the door. He didn't come to the door. He didn't want mm. his buddy to know he's in there and with his chick because mm. his buddy knows his girlfriend. So the guy calls the room and no one answers. He bangs on the door again and he's he's getting irate because he doesn't want to have to get another room because he's supposed to be splitting it. Mm. And he's a bit, his friend's not there, mm. you know, so he's, he's kind of irate. Well, then his girlfriend calls. Now the guy that's in the bed with this, this girl, mm -hmm. this girlfriend calls says, if you've seen so-and-so, he's not answering his phone. And he says, well, he's not letting me in. So the girlfriend finds out his best friend is now upset. His girlfriend is now a tyrant, right? Mm -hmm. She's upset. And this guy's having this so-called fling. Mm -hmm. And so I ask him a simple question. You're comparing your wife to this girl. What were the downsides and drawbacks and negatives of the girl? And he says, well, man, there's no, there was no drawbacks of that babe. I said, what were the drawbacks of that girl? Stop, get present, and let's look. Mm. And he goes, well, now I think about it. She had kind of a strange voice, kind of a whiny voice that would have grated on me. You know, for three days I could have endured it, but that, that voice was cutting it. And I think I stayed out of being seen with her because of that voice partly. I said, good. What's another drawback? Um, she had kind of thin hair, kind of like going on Lord of the Rings. And she had to wash it like three times a day because it just was not very thick. And, it, and and I would have probably kind of gotten burned out on that one too. What else? Well, she had kind of a disproportionate leg length versus torso length and as long as I'm in bed, I didn't notice it. But when I think about it, I wouldn't really want to be seen with her. I think that's why I stayed in the room too. And what else? Well, she was kind of of a different class than I'm accustomed to. And and I said, could you take her to one of your functions, doctor functions, um, back? Oh, God, no. No, I'd be embarrassed having her there. I said, keep going. What was the drawback of the sexual part? And he started giving details and I, I started to make him aware of things that he had overlooked at the time. Mm. And so in his mind, he stored a memory that was skewed and subjectively biased. He had a false positive on the positives and a false negative on the negatives. He was mm. seeing something that wasn't there on the positives and he wasn't seeing things that were there on the negatives. Mm -hmm. And so he created a fantasy out of this girl. And because he didn't see the downsides, he was now comparing his wife to a fantasy. And no woman can compare to a fantasy. They can compare to another woman, but mm. they can't compare to a fantasy. So I went in there and I took the fantasy down and flattened it and mm -hmm. just popped that little temple, right? I mean, I popped it mm. and I showed him the downsides. And as I was showing him the downside, his wife in his mind kept coming up and he was thinking, my wife's first class. She's really amazing. She does a great job with the kids. And, and he, all of a sudden, he's like starting to compare. And as this one's coming down, his wife is coming up. And I said, mm -hmm. what's some of the benefits of your wife? What's some other drawbacks of the girl? And all of a sudden, he started having a gully watch. He just realized, man, 
I didn't even know. I have not been able to feel my love for my wife until this minute. Wow. I have been comparing her and it's not been fair to her for 10 years because if I'm holding on to a fantasy, I said, as long as your brain stores in your subconscious mind a pleasure without a pain, anything that's associated that's less than that, you'll be comparing it to. And yeah. it will be substandard to that. That's the price of moments of elation that you are blinded to. So the moment we got through and he had this tear of gratitude, we worked on his wife and found the blessings of her, the things that he thought were quirks and how he had had those in his life and the benefits. We neutralized the whole thing. Mm. And I saw him about four months later. And I said, whatever happened with the deal with the sexual life? He says, I didn't do anything different. She didn't do anything different. But wow, our sex life is completely different because I'm no longer comparing her to that girl. I'm comparing mm. her to what I have with my wife and I am more in love with my wife after that experience, what you took me through than I have been in 10 years. And that's what we do. We, we get enamored with things, set up a dopamine and oxytocin and serotonin rush and encephalin mm. rush. And then anything other than that feels less. That's the danger of getting infatuated and manic because man mania creates pania. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. That's such a visceral example. And I think um, it really paints a picture. And as you were sharing that, one of the things that, you know, came through for me is I feel like it's one of the double-edged swords of social media these days as well. And I'm sort of taking a leap across the pond from relationships to business. But I find even, I've, I've felt this in the Inspired Evolution several times as well. There are people that are, you know, producing amazing podcasts in the world. And humbly, I'd like to think I'm one of them. Um, but also they've been doing it for longer. They've been doing it better. And, you know, there's this there's this comparison, this dragon that sort of run, rears its head. And the, yeah, just the, the whole journey that you go on in terms of I'm not good enough, the inspired evolution is not good enough, or, you know, something comes out as a way. And it's, you know, the, I've had to do the work in the past to just sort of go, and none of that matters. What matters is my relationship with the inspired evolution. With and this yeah, literally boils and and well, even just the in the moment, it's like it's the conversations. It's like, how much am I enjoying this conversation with John? Nothing else matters, right? As long as I'm having a good time. And I like similar to the guy in the story, as long as I'm having an incredible time, the feedback on the inspired evolution episodes is always like, that was a great episode lo and behold because i felt really good in it it came across really good it was received really well and then the story starts to become you know much more incongruence um but i feel like that for a lot of people in today's world especially when they're setting out on an entrepreneurial journey so setting up a business there is so much success that inspires them to get started but also success that overwhelms them once they've hit the ground and start to run would you say so well, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if we compare ourselves to others instead of compare our daily actions to our own highest values, we're automatically, inevitably going to have dysmorphia. Mm. Dysmorphia is a distorted view of who we are. Right. If we meet somebody and we put them on a pedestal, we'll minimize ourselves. That's inauthentic. Mm. If we meet somebody that we resent and look down on, we'll exaggerate ourselves. That's inauthentic. We, we want to be loved for who we are. We can't be loved for who we are when we're not who we are. And as long as we're gyrating around, you know, exaggerating and minimizing ourselves, we're not going to feel love and we're going to feel empty. Mm -hmm. When we look down on somebody and we're too proud to admit what we see in them inside us, we have a disowned part and that's feeling empty. When we look up to somebody and we're too humble to admit what we see in them is inside us, we feel empty. So every time we judge, we're going to feel empty and we're designed to feel empty to let us know that that's not the truth of them and us. Mm. But when we love somebody, and we have reflective awareness, pure reflective awareness, that we, the seer, the seeing, and the seen are the same. Mm. When we have that, we have fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And everything that's going on in life is trying to create symptoms to get us back to that, mm -hmm. trying to get us authentic. And so that, that's the path. All of these signs and symptoms that we get that we think are failures aren't failures. They're feedback to guide us back to authenticity. Mm. They're teaching us how to set real goals 
in real time with real strategies that are truly meaningful and not something we think is important according to our comparisons. So many people are trying to be, like you say, trying to be, well, so-and-so does this, I should do that. And then they try to do something that's not even in their value system. And it's like, they're feeling I got to do it, but I don't really love doing it. I got to do it because so-and-so is doing it. No, being present and being really dedicated to a mission of serving people on the on your podcast is going to make your podcast grow because they're going to feel it. Mm-hmm. They feel when there's authenticity. And uh, you try to put on a facade. And I've been on a lot. I've been on 400 podcasts just since last year. Yeah. And, and I see a lot of them and I see the whole spectrum. <laughs> yeah, you can tell somebody's some yeah, well, you can see what's going down. It's not mm-hmm. hard. I don't think and, and people think that they they can cover it up, but mm-hmm. they can tell when somebody's inspired by what they're doing. They can it's just like if you're a you know, if you're a, a, go to a doctor's office, if the doctor's really present, you can tell when they're present. Yeah. You can tell when they're distracted or something. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's an interesting, um, I guess, from here, uh, I guess the audience probably <laughs> wants me to let up and ask the question in terms of, okay, how do we com- kill comparisonitis? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that would be useful in this conversation just to, <laughs> just to let off some of the steam. But uh, there are other questions I have, but I think that is the question for now, I guess. And I can, I don't want to preload your, your answer, but I can also for my in my heart already feel how much gratitude is such an antidote, but please, yeah. Well, gratitude, you know, we have in our brain, uh, you might say layers of the brain. Our most advanced part of our brain, our telenovelon, particularly the medial prefrontal cortex, which is the most kind of advanced part of our brain. This is the most objective part of the brain. And objectivity means balanced, neutral. And subcortical to that, is an amygdala and part of the limbic system that's involved in subjective. The subjective is needed when you have to chase prey and capture prey and avoid predator. Mm -hmm. You need acceleration and you need an exaggeration of the positive or the negative in order to get your adrenaline going strong enough to run and capture the prey or to avoid the predator. Mm -hmm. So our amygdala is there for survival, for food and avoiding predator being eaten. But when we're not in survival mode and we're balanced, we set the true objectives. And now we see things in a balanced way, more the way they are, not the way we imagine them to be in, in this, this bias. So all of our prejudice and biases and discriminations and emotional reactions are all from the amygdala's response. It's the one that adds valency and charge to events, creates emotions. That's systems one thinking where you're reacting before you're thinking, but systems two thinking is you think before you react Mm -hmm. and you have foresight and you strategize and you plan and you mitigate risk and you think out how you're going to do it. And you see it in your mind's eye because you can activate the V5, V6 visual associative areas of the brain when you're in that executive center. And so an individual that's clear and knows what their mission is and knows what they're committed to. If they prioritize their actions and fill their day with high priority actions that inspire them spontaneously, Mm. their day doesn't fill up with the distractions 
and impulses and instincts that create all the crazies. Mm. So the one most significant thing to deal with that comparisonitis is to be clear about what's really important to you by determining what you really value and prioritizing the day and filling your day with the absolute highest priority actions you can do to fulfill that. Mm. If you do, you don't have time to be comparing. You're too busy doing something you spontaneously love doing. In my case, it's teaching and researching and writing. I, that's, that's my highest values. Mm. I do it every day. And that's what I love doing. So I don't have to get distracted by other stuff because, frankly, anything that I need motivation to do, I delegate. Mm. Anything that I don't spontaneously love doing, I delegate to somebody else. So I don't do it. So I'm not distracted by it. Somebody else takes care of that. I stick to what I do. When people learn to prioritize their life and fill their day with high priorities, their self-worth goes up. Their executive mm. sir comes along. They're more objective. They're more purposeful. They achieve more. They're more grateful. The executive center is called the gratitude center. Mm. And in Scientific American, this year, well, 2022, this last mm. year, uh, September, October, I believe is maybe October, there's a fantastic article on the identity of the self and the medial prefrontal cortex, this executive center, is the self. It's the seat mm. of the self. It's the integrative center. So we're living authentically when we live by our highest value. Our entire ontological identity revolves around it. So prioritizing your life and sticking to high priority things and focusing on what's truly meaningful to what is truly a calling in your life mm. takes a lot of that chaos out of the way. A lot of the comparisonitis out of the way. I love that we're talking about identity because one of the, and thank you so much for sharing that, that response. Um, because after a while having, and I feel like a, an infant <laughs> having done this work, um, pales in comparison to how long um, you've dedicated yourself to mastery of the self. Um, all hats off. I've started to realize that in some ways, a lot of this personal development, once I've worked on my values, once I've, you know, started to get clear and I've, I've you know, been practicing gratitude, up-leveling my life to, you know, calling in more of what is in alignment with my values, I've really started to come home to this piece that you just mentioned, identity, and my relationship with my identity to the points where I jokingly say um, to myself these days that self-development after a while just becomes this game of identity politicking with myself, you know, and it's it's... It's really interesting. Um, it lacks a sort of spiritual nuance that I also feel is very important in this space. Um, but I think in the cognitive space, yeah, any, any um, I guess the, the question is quite simple, any tips on how to work with your own identity? Because I know values are really important, getting clear on who you are. But let's say like my values, I'm very clear at connection, contribution, celebration. This is what I'm here to do. And having done that, you know, at a certain point in time, it's like, okay, how do I elevate how I'm showing up for these particular values? Is that a case of identity and how do I build upon the identity if it is? Well, we have a tendency when we're authentic to build incremental momentum towards our innermost dominant thought which is an expression spontaneously when we're in that state, when we're on priority. Mm. So we can't help but continue to advance forward. But I don't like to use the word improvement. I don't like using moral hypocrisy language. And let me, let me elaborate on that. Please. Uh, I was doing a seminar on time management and efficiency for business. Mm. And um, this goes back way back into the, late eighties and early nineties. And this guy attended and he was eager to learn. And a lot of light bulbs went off. He, he claimed, and he went back to his business after he learned this, spent a day on this topic and his boss uh, gave him a promotion within just weeks and said, whatever you did at that seminar, you have absolutely massively just shifted. And what an improvement. Mm. And he, he is now getting more rewards at work. He's getting more income. He's getting more confident. You know, he's getting a lot of reward there. And his boss is thinking he's really improved since that seminar. Whatever you did at that seminar, there's a 
marked difference. And so that individual, the boss, had a set of values. And in his values, the man is now supporting his values. So he labeled it improvement. Right. But his wife said, ever since you went to that damn Demartini seminar, <laughs> you've, been, you've been focused on your business and on that, and you haven't been home with your kids as much. You haven't been focused here as much. You're and and we've been bicking it, you know, because he's now elated that subjectivity over here. And, you were talking about, yeah, 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 and he now thinks he's greater, and he starts getting cocky to his wife, and she's bringing him back down into equilibrium. So, hmm. and now she's saying you've disimproved since you went to that dang seminar because she has a different <laughs> set of values. Yeah. So I found it a waste of time. Self improvement. I don't. I don't think about self improvement for that word. Yeah. I like to think of it as refinement and mastery of skills in the pursuit of what's important to you, knowing full well that some people are going to support it. Some people are going to, you know, mm. dislike it and challenge it. So I don't attach to one or the other. Mm. I don't like to label success or failure. I don't mm. dedicate my life to success and fear failure. That to mm -hmm. me doesn't mean anything. I'm a man on a mission, which is down the center and I see the second I'm successful, that means that I'm blind to the downsides and I'm overlooking things and I'm cocky and I'm proud and I'm on my way down and depurposing. Mm. And the second I feel like I'm failure, I'm going back to priority and I'm repurposing and getting back to what's priority. Mm. So I don't see one good and the other bad and I don't put a moral language on it. Yo. I put a refinement on it and a feedback on it. Mm. And I just cl classify myself as a man on a mission. So it's meta-ethical instead of this moral hypocrisy because the moral hypocrisy is be good don't be bad be positive don't be negative be successful don't be failure this is not somebody that no one can attain that state that's like a one-sided mm. magnet you're not going to get it so i i take the language and i look at the etymology of it and i try to refine the language where it's obtainable otherwise we set that. up for fantasies and the dopamine fixation of the amygdala is what sells people will buy the dopamine they'll buy success and avoid failure They'll yeah. avoid happiness. They'll avoid sadness. Mm -hmm. I take both sides of life. I'm not mm. a nice person. I'm not a mean person. I'm a human being with a set of values. If you support my values, I can be nice as a pussycat. You challenge them, I can be mean as a tiger. <laughs> I embrace all of myself. I, get, I don't try to get rid of half of myself and be only one side and have an improvement, get closer to perfection and never make it. All that crap. Mm. The perfection is the entire whole not mm. the one-sidedness. That's where people get trapped. And then they end up beating themselves up because they're not living up to a one-sided magnet. Remember what the Buddha said, the desire for that which is unobtainable and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable yeah. is the source of human suffering. All of it. <laughs> so painfully true. And it's so clear. Yeah. Yeah. Striking for what we don't have and yeah and not being content with what we do have is yeah it it's profound and i love thank you so much for that response because you're living in alignment with your values you know congratulations <laughs> you know, it's, well, I'm, I'm useless yeah. i'm useless anywhere else <laughs> i'm pretty useless anywhere else i'm not you know I haven't cooked since I was 24. I haven't driven a car in 33 years now. Mm. I don't do things that are low in my values because it's, why would I fill my day with things that self-depreciate? I've mm. learned that that's what it leads to. So I'd rather just appreciate my life by doing the things that I feel called to do, my specialty, my uniqueness. John, there's an interesting um, awareness that's developed for me over time. And we were talking about money a little bit earlier as well. And there's in, in, in the conversation around money, you often hear people mention the word value. I value or the value of this. And, you know, humbly this started to enter my awareness in terms of, oh, the value, what I value and, the, and what I value in some ways has poetically started to well, started to, it's landed quite a while ago is the values. When I'm living in a climate with my values, that is the value I bring to the world. And the remuneration will then follow as long as I'm following my path. Am I onto something there or am I 
somewhat in a, in a delusion? Like, do our values well, exhibit where we receive remuneration in the world healthily? In some, yeah. Uh, there's a correlation, but not a guarantee. And the reason why there's not a guarantee is because I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody mm. I just worked with just two days ago. Yes, please. Two days ago. Uh, there's a guy that um, was a sales individual. Mm. And he uh, knocked it out of the ballpark and just made a lot of money in his mind. Mm. It really wasn't a lot of money, but in his mind, from where he was, it, it seemed like a lot of money. He killed it. It's all yeah. relative. Yeah. He killed it. And he got cocky and proud because he was like leading salesperson. Mm. But money without meaning can lead to debauchery. So he found himself cocky. He started taking advantage of girls. He started getting drunk, started doing drugs. He started getting sidetracked because money without meaning leads to debauchery. Money with meaning can lead to philanthropy. And meaning means something that's high in your value. So if you're making money doing something you really love and it's meaningful to you, mm -hmm. you tend to use that money more philanthropically. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, you tend to, you're unfulfilled doing it. You're doing it because it makes you good money, but it's unfulfilling. So you end up looking for immediate gratification to compensate for the unfulfillment. And therefore the debauchery occurs because it's an amygdala response. Because anytime you're doing something low on your values, but you're making money, your amygdala comes online. Anytime you do something behind your values, making money, your executive center comes online. One is debaucherous, one is philanthropic. Mm -hmm. So he ended up uh, being a kind of labeled the womanizer, the, the, the druggie, the, you know, and then he crashed and he lost his position because of all the debauchery mm. and he got really humbled. And he, he lost all his money, lost his job. You know, he got busted for big cocaine. I mean, he just really went crashing down, which was actually the great thing that could happen to him. But in the compensation of that, because he felt now shame and guilt from all the impositions of people's values, because, you know, people are always projecting their values onto you. And if you buy mm. into them, they can run your life. Yeah. We and now it went to the other extremes. So now he went to the other extreme. So now he joined in a Pashna meditation group and joined with this, this kind of this thing where he now is sacrificing whatever he has to go and do meditation in the opposite. So he's gone to the other extreme and gone into celibacy. Mm. <laughs> he went from one extreme from now giving all this money and being celibate. Mm. And I told him, I said, look, that's a compensation for the shame and guilt of the past. Mm. You know, so now you're feeling guilty about to what you did. So let's go to each girl that you thought you screwed over and let's find out how it served them. And he went to one of the girls that he took advantage of. And then he said, after that, she ended up meeting this guy and they've been married and they're doing really well. And then another one, she realized that she was sidetracked by infatuation, relying on a guy and she's now got her own business and is doing very well. And he started realizing I've been carrying around guilt over the by behavior, but actually these these females got something out of it. And so they've, they've stepped forward and they were living in the infatuation and subordination to me because mm. I'm successful. And my illusion and portrayal of that made them subordinate to me and sacrifice to teach them that lesson, not to minimize themselves mm. and him not to exaggerate themselves. Nature's teaching us about authenticity and the perfect events in relationship to trying to teach us that. Mm. So when he got through and found out that all the girls that he had taken advantage of in his mind actually went on and did something more professional, Remarkable. more amazing, yeah. his guilt disappeared. And because of that, guilt and shame of the past causes altruistic behavior to compensate. Mm. Just like pride, you know, narcissism is compensation for uh pride and self-righteousness of the past and altruism is compensation for shame and guilt of the past. Well, so when he did that, he was now sacrificing and giving away his money because he's punishing himself, right? With the licensing effect. And then he, he, he woke up to this as we were clearing the guilt. And then he said, wow, I realized I went from one extreme and got pain. Now I'm going to the other extreme. And in the way of, I'm starting to get to learn that it's going to be pain because I'm sacrificing and I'm not getting anything and I'm Swing devaluing pen myself. Yeah, pendulum. Swinging, swinging from one extreme to the other instead of finding the middle path. Mm. And I, so when I dissolved his shame and guilt, I said, the wisest thing to do is have sustainable fair exchange, not give something for nothing and don't try to get something for nothing. Give something for something, a fair exchange that works, that lasts.
that's sustainable. Mm. Sustainable relationships really do amazing way. They, they do well. <laughs> so right there on the spot, he broke through that. And he realized, wow, I wasn't even aware that I was compensating, but I can see it clearly now. He says, I'm ready to go back to work now. But what I have now is I'm going to do my meditation. I'm going to think of the cause of what I want to do, not do it completely altruistically, but do it in a sustainable way. And I'm going to go and build my business again. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I've, I've learned my letter. I just got it. I said, great. Mm. Now you're talking. He said, this was worth this, this, this little chat right here. That just, just completely shifted it from one extreme to the other and now brought me to the center. And people don't realize that the storage of self-exaggerations and self-minimizations don't work. It's wiser to love yourself because if you exaggerate yourself and put your projecting of your values onto other people and expect others to buy into what you believe is important and do what you think is important, you have futility. Anybody who's had a marriage and tries to get their spouse to be like them, you know, I want you to be more like me. You're just going to have futility. You're just going to get castrated. And anytime you try to be like somebody else's values, you're going to have futility. It doesn't work. But you being you and knowing how to communicate who you are and what you value in terms of what they are and who they what they value works every time. And so people have to go back and forth sometimes till they finally get the lesson. The true love is a sustainable fair exchange transaction. Mm. And money, money is a manifestation of that. Money is a measurement of how sustainable and how well you've done that. I love that money is an energy. One of the things that popped out for me was I'm sure people that are listening into this can relate to their love relationships. Um, and for those tuning in, pardon me, I've been jumping between love and business and the similes between the two, but it's happening. <laughs> Run with it. Um, so one of the things is oftentimes in relationships, especially long-term relationships, people tend to, you know, once the infatuation stage passes, um, people tend to, oh, you know, want to improve certain parts of each other. Um, and sometimes even in my own life, some of the things my wife has called me out on have actually been super helpful um, in terms of being in alignment to my values personally. But then sometimes certain things aren't part of your DNA, um, aren't part of your value system. And if you don't value it, changing it is unlikely. But I guess the query then becomes, but I value my partner, right? So some part of me can leverage that value to start to give a shit about what the other person cares about. Thoughts? Can you expand on yeah, that? But you're not here to sacrifice. People think it's all about sacrifice. I don't, I don't buy that. Mm. I think it's knowing how to communicate. So one of the greatest exercises in relationships that I've seen that I've developed in my life mm. is asking a simple question. First, Go and do a determination of your values so you know what's really important to you. Mm -hmm. And then respect your mate to know what's important to them and not put fantasies about who they're going to be or who they're supposed to be, and, but find out what they're committed to. Mm -hmm. They want to be loved for that. Everybody wants to be loved for what they value most. Find out what your top three values are. Find out what their top three values. And then do an exercise by asking these questions. How specifically is my spouse and what they're dedicated to, their top three values, the things that they spontaneously do, the things that they identify themselves by, the things that they love doing most. How mm. is it helping me fulfill what I'm dedicated to, what I have as my top three values, and how is I what I'm fulfilling? If I ask that question, hold myself accountable to answer that question, there is always an answer. Mm. I've taken two people that want to kill each other and wanted to end their relationship and just had them do that one exercise for about two hours. And um, both of them were in tears with their arms around each other. And they realized I'm projecting my values onto you. You're projecting your values onto me and that doesn't work. And that's why we're where we are and we can't love each other that way. And we're getting the symptoms and feedback to let us know it. But right now, now that I see what you're dedicated is actually serving me, I don't need to fix you. Because, mm. The, the, the number one thing that undermines a relationship is the fantasy that we are comparing our partner to and punishing them if they don't match it. Our addiction to a fantasy projected onto our partner and punishing them for not matching it kills the relationship over time. Everybody's mm -hmm. having an affair when they have a fantasy. 
they're having an affair and people don't feel loved. And so I had a woman that came to me recently and she said, my husband's having an affair. And I said, okay, so what are you doing to push him out of your life? Well, what do you mean? What am I doing? Well, his values aren't being met. He's going somewhere else. Every human being wants to fulfill their values. He's going somewhere else to find his values to be met. What's not being met in his eyes that you're not willing to do? Because anything you're not willing to do with your mate, you got to be willing to delegate. <laughs> That's how mm -hmm. it is. Somebody else is going to come in and take care of that role. And she didn't want to admit that at first. She said, no, he's a womanizer. Well, you married him. You you, you impulsively jumped, jumped in and got married without realizing that he has certain needs. And you're now living in a fantasy. He's supposed to get those needs met just because you married him. So that's not real. And I, I said, so where's your affair? Whatever you see in him, your fingers are pointing back at you. Where's your affair? She says, I'm not having an affair. I said, yes, you are. You're having an affair with either a fantasy or your kids or your spiritual life or your education or something. Where are you putting all your energy and not putting it on him? Mm. Not fulfilling his needs. He's a customer. You're a supplier. If you don't meet his needs, he goes somewhere else. Mm. <laughs> and uh, she finally got humbled and realized what she was doing. And she was comparing her, comparing him to a little bit of her dad because her dad was a certain way and she enamored with her dad. So he's supposed to now be his, her dad. And uh, he's supposed to also be this white shining armor stuff that she read from books. Mm. And then her friends, she has a fantasy about this couple that they seem to be doing really well. And they, well, he should be like that. And anytime she's comparing her husband to all those other things that aren't him, there's no way he can win. He's out of there. And vice versa. The women do the same thing to the men. They do it just as much to the women. They, they go find somebody else to love them. So the antidote is not necessarily to find someone that has the exact same values as you, but to ask really powerful questions You'll never have in terms of how does, this, how does this set of values help me realize my values and how does my set of values help you realize your values for the best? Answer that question and your dialogue and respect will go up. I, I teach a program on value applications at least once a year, sometimes twice a year in Japan. Mm. And we had 66 attendees at this one training program there. And none of these people really knew each other. And we made sure they weren't sitting with somebody they knew in the, in the exercise. Yeah. And they had to determine the individual's values because I trained them on that. And then they had to do a linking of the top three values, to the top three values, the top value to the top value, 30, 30 answers. How's this helping that? How's this helping that? 30 times, 30 times. So mm. 60 links, to the top wow. value, then the first to the second and the mm. second to the first and the second wow. to the second. Down the list. And we spent two hours, almost three hours, just linking values. When we got through couples, pairs, plan on meeting together to do business together. And that's exactly what happens. They start to have respect for each other. The respect is based on how well you see how their values are helping you fulfill yours and vice versa. So that exercise is gold to anybody that think and they're on the blink. The, the ancient Greeks said, when you see more similarities and differences, you have infatuation. Oh my God, we have the same number of ribs, the same number of eyes, the same number of arms and legs. We must be soulmates. And resentment is when you see more differences and similarities. We're not going in the same direction. We, we don't see eye to eye. We have nothing in common. Love is a perfect balance of similarities and differences. You will never find and never marry somebody that's identical to you. That'll be, that would be twilight zone. That'd be like marrying yourself. You'd kill yourself. Very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I can only handle so much of me, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, need, you need somebody that's got similarities and differences to support and challenge because maximum growth and development in human consciousness grows at the border of support and challenge. You need both. And when you're addicted to support, the challenge hurts. But if you see the downside of the support, because if somebody supports you, you become juvenile dependent. It's a crutch. When somebody challenges you, become precociously independent. You need a both to have an interdependent relationship. Mm. Oh, John. 
<laughs> thank you. I can't even begin to thank you enough. One of the things I wanted to ask as a parting question today was you've mentioned before time and time again that the quality of our life is based on the quality of questions we ask. I think poetically you've left us with some really powerful questions to ask ourselves. And just as, well, not so much in jest, but maybe in uh, some lighthearted sort of approach, I'd love to sort of just peek under the hood a little bit. Um, I'm sure there's so many cogs spinning in there, but what's um, what's the highest quality question you've asked yourself recently? Um, would you be willing to share that with us before we close? Well, there's, there's, they're, they're common ones. The most important question, one of the most important questions for somebody who's an entrepreneur, for instance, is to ask, what is the highest priority action I can do today mm. to help me fulfill my mission of service to the greatest number of people in the most efficient, effective manner with the resources that I'm aware I having to I have today? Great action, great question. Really robust. <laughs> Covers all the angles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another question is. When I'm reactive to somebody and I find myself looking up or down on them, to ask what specific trait, action, or inaction do I perceive this individual displaying or demonstrating that I admire most or despise most, or like most or dislike most, or attracted to or repelled to most, and get really clear on what it is instead of being nebulous. Hmm. And then the next question is, Okay, John, go to a moment where and when you perceive yourself displaying or demonstrating the same specific trait, action, inaction in your own life. Because I learned that you cannot see something in others you don't have. And you only infatuate or resent somebody that remind you of parts of yourself that you haven't loved and integrated. You're disowning it. So go and find out where it is until the quantity and quality is equal. And when you do, you realize that they're just a reflection and they're there to teach you that you have parts you haven't loved in yourself and they're there to help you see it. They're your teacher. Mm. Then go and ask this question. If you admire them or let's say you despise them, now go to a moment where and when you perceive them displaying or demonstrating a specific trait, action, inaction that you despise most. Mm. And at that very moment, how is that a blessing? How is that a service? How is that a positive? What's the advantage? What's the benefit to you of that happening? And how is it helping you spiritually and mentally and vocationally and financially and family-wise and social and health-wise? How is it helping you? And how is it helping you fulfill your top mission, what you feel is your mission on earth? And don't say, I don't know, I can't find it, it's not, and be a victim of history. Be a master of history by answering the question. And when the advantages equal the disadvantages, you'll bring a tear to your eye and you'll realize that that individual that you are wanting to avoid is actually the person, that the individual that's helping you fulfill your mission and making you independent and strong. So those three questions are useful. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> By my standards, that was a good question to ask you. <laughs> Touch it. John, thank you so much for giving yourself so abundantly to us here today. Once again, it is, oh, I can't even say it's, it is such a treat every single time. And yet every time I walk away, just so much richer for these conversations. Your generosity is beyond humbling. And I want to thank you for today's conversation, but also it's a lifetime's worth of work that informs this work. You've been carrying a torch for longer than I can even put into words. So thank you so much for doing this, guys. If you're tuning in, I have to say, please do go check out, I'll put a link, very first link in the show notes below will be uh, Dr. John D. Martini's website. There is enough resources there to keep you going. Uh, I've, I think I've heard you say this for a lifetime and I would honestly say for a lifetime, there is so much there that the D. Martini Institute has like dedicated itself to. John's books are all phenomenal. Um, yeah, I cannot speak highly enough. Please do go check out the website to check out the work. And I've watched a lot of John's YouTube videos recently. Um, they're shorter. You've got some about 7, 10, 15 minutes long addressing particular key topics of stuff that's coming up in your life. Super valuable. So please do go check it out and subscribe there as well. Put a link to John's YouTube channel. Obviously, you're probably watching this on YouTube as well. So it's just a, a click or two away. John, on behalf of myself and the Inspired Evolution audience, wishing you all the best on your journey forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show again. And thank you for the great questions and just your vibrant uh, love for what you do. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. 
Without you, the Inspired Evolution Tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.